Welcome back. We're here with another episode of Conversations About God. That's Casey Stagg right there. It's David Bowden. And that's Ryan McKenzie. Hey guys, we're back with another episode here. We're talking um, about Abraham and his faith today and um, some really crazy stuff. We've got everything from uh, Casey's mustache. It's gone. Which is gone. To child sacrifice, which is kind of crazy. And that's uh, a dodgeball, mm-hmm. right? So we were, Casey and I, and Dave, actually all three of us, were playing dodgeball like some weird guys uh, Friday night. This youth event we had, and my shoulder is so sore. Like, I, no joke, my one goal was to hit Casey Stagg as hard as I could with the dodgeball the entire time. You got me. I got you once. I had a well yeah, right in the tender well, chicken area. It right probably now. hurts just as bad as my arm does. I threw my arm out, and it's it's great. No, I didn't play because I'm an adult. <laughs> so that's my reason. Well, your life is less fun than ours. <laughs> uh, there were middle school girls out there. Yeah. I did see a middle school girl get pegged in the stomach, and I immediately found the person that pegged them and went after them as hard as I could. It was great. It was, yeah. So I feel bad for her, but um, revenge was sweet. <laughs> let's get into let's get into what we're talking revenge. about today. Yay. Revenge is good in dodgeball. Um, big shout out to Mansion Windows and Doors and Northwest Church, official sponsors of the podcast. We can bring this to you for free because of them. Thanks, guys. You're Neil, welcome. you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to apply. Sitting with two of the uh, I guess owners of this thing. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, also, if you're new to the podcast, we want to hear from you. Uh, type in your questions. Tell us how great it is. If you haven't heard all of it, we, you don't need to. It's great. Take my word for it. Just uh, go to the comments and reviews and rate and review excellence all over the place, right? So we can we can share with everybody else. Let's get into this. You ready? Ready. We're ready. All right. So we're talking about Abraham and specifically the story where Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son Isaac on a mountain. Kind of crazy if you're just jumping in right here. It's like a wild point in the Bible, and you're like, wow, I didn't think that this God was all into the whole human sacrifice thing, and all of a sudden it's like maybe he is, if you're just reading it out of context. Um, but that kind of brought up a question in my mind, and I want to get y'all's thoughts on this. Like, why do we even look at the Old Testament? And like, I thought the gospel was ever, like this is a really common thing. The gospel is what we need. Jesus is what we need. So why do we look at this older stuff that like maybe is not the same thing as the gospel? And I think that's a common thought in people's minds. I don't agree with that thought, but there, I want to talk through that. Like why is the Old Testament, is that the gospel too? Are we looking at it the wrong way if we say it's not the gospel? And how is that different? How is it the same? Ready to go. I have some <laughs> initial thoughts because... I believe if you read the New Testament, there's so many references to the Old Testament that you can't make complete sense of what's being said because they're using that as a springboard. Right. So the, the authors of the many different uh, the epistles or the gospels, they refer back to, and even Jesus himself, when he's speaking, he's, he's saying one greater than Jonah is here. He's talking about the story of Jonah mm-hmm. and, and likening what he's doing as being similar to that, only greater. Wow. So in order to like truly fully get what Jesus is saying there, you have to be familiar with that Old Testament story. Right. And um, there are also glimpses of um, like f- grace through faith and salvation apart from works that are seen clearly in the Old Testament that to me makes me go, 
This is a common thread through all of Scripture with the culmination being in Jesus. Right. And a couple of thoughts. Um, I mean, one of our foundational doctrines is the Trinity, right? So Jesus was there from the very beginning. He's always existed. Um, I mean, to the point to where he's wrestling someone in the Old Testament, wrestling Jacob, right, in the Old Testament. It's like, man, he was there. He's always been there, always existed. Um, and then I heard something last week that in Jesus's toughest times, like whether it was on the cross or in the Garden of Gethsemane or when he's being tempted in the desert, he always quoted scripture. And they were always Old Testament scriptures because that's the scripture that existed at that point. Even on the cross, he was quoting Psalms. And it's yeah. like, man, how without that, without the Old Testament, it just glorifies Jesus so much more and edifies him knowing Absolutely. that like... He, scripture was the most important thing to him. His relationship with his father was the most important thing to him. So um, very important to have both the Old Testament and the New Testament and not, you know, throw away it's, the Old it's Testament. It's kind of like Casey without his mustache. It, there's no there's not as much, there's not as much glory. Is. So you know what I did mustache. with it? I, I donated it to Locks of Blood. <laughs> <laughs> it's on some other guy's lip right now. <laughs> if, you, if you can't see us right now, Casey had this massive 80s mustache. <laughs> And I thought it was the grossest thing I'd ever seen because it, it wasn't. On you. But it, it did. It grew on you, and it grew on me. I think you donated it to mustaches of madness. There's a no. But a seeing you show. without it now, I'm like missing it a yeah, lot. Like yeah. I really feel like there's part of it that's missing. <clears throat> it, it, it'll, it'll be back. Okay. So this is important to like you reference Jesus on the cross, and he's quoting Psalms. Mm. Some people, without that knowledge, would go. He's saying, why have you forsaken me? Like there's some like, like that he doesn't know what's going on. And like, there's this now disbelief in the father. Right. When, if you just read it in itself, that statement, why have you forsaken me? You're like, oh, there's, there's something weird going on here. But he's referring to a scripture and fulfilling mm-hmm. prophecy in right. the moment, which is like, yeah, if you read it without context, yeah. the context being the old Testament, right. then you miss out what, what he's really doing and saying mm-hmm. in that moment. So to me, um, that the old Testament is the, if you wanted to simplify it, it's a gigantic arrow pointing to Jesus, right. and it's a, promises about His coming, yeah. fulfilled in the New Testament with His coming to Earth and being the incarnate God slash Man at the same time, which is a whole other thing that we could spend a lot of time talking about. But that's why the Old Testament's important. And when we're talking about Abraham, Abraham is the the one person that God chose to start the faith mm-hmm. and to, to say, I'm going to make a special people. And from that people comes the Messiah. Right. So cool. to know things about Abraham and that he was the one that, that first like believed God to where God said, uh, because you believe you're now righteous. Like your, your faith is the big thing. And so that, that believing and having faith that makes you righteous, we see that statement over and over again in the New Testament. Right. Paul says it constantly in Galatians and well, almost any letter he ever talks about. The theme is there. Like that something was said on Sunday, there are like shadows of the gospel, mm-hmm. shadows of Jesus throughout the Old Testament and mm-hmm. throughout the story. So like, even if it's not directly God himself or Jesus himself interacting, that there are these shadow moments where it's like, well, that's not quite Jesus. That's not exactly the, the plan, but there's this moment of like you can see what God is hinting at when He wants to what He wants to accomplish right. through these people. And He's like, man, if they would only just see it His way, it would have gone so much better for them. Or like, it foreshadows the cross. It foreshadows the, the the gospel, which is which is really cool. So maybe maybe we can go go to there. Like we talk about the gospel, 
we're saying you can see it in the Old Testament, you can see it in the New Testament. Sure. Um, what what does gospel actually mean? If we're going to break that down, like how would that how would you explain that? How can we talk through that? The word gospel literally means good news, right? So if we're going to look at it just nuts and bolts, what is the gospel? The gospel is good news to mankind. How? All right, what's the good news? You have Jesus coming and walking out a pure, sinless life, fulfills all ceremonially cleanliness laws that were we were obligated to in the Old Testament. He is the sacrifice, fulfills all the sacrificial laws, and actually takes it further than that. We're justified, we're made righteous, and then he takes it further and adopts us, like opens up that we could be adopted into God's family yeah. and not because of anything other than we believe in what he has done. And that's good news to me because I don't have the ability to do all that Jesus came and accomplished. I am unable and my natural state can't even choose to do the good that he wants me to do. And Paul even gets into that. You know, we, there's yeah. that place that we all come to that tension. He's like, I do not do what I want to do, but what I don't, want to do that I end up doing and he goes thanks be to God that Jesus Christ is like he's like there's something that has come in that has given me the ability to choose where I couldn't yeah so the good news is I couldn't he did and now I have this ability to, to be changed and given a new heart so to me that's good news that's cool. there are other great examples you've got one that we talked yeah, about so a historical aspect of, of a gospel it's like i think we've it's a very churchy word now but like historically a gospel is like it's a proclamation of good news like you're saying but a, a king would come in an army would like conquer an, a land and they would send out their messengers their heralds throughout the land and say here's the gospel of king david or king casey or whoever the king like and you're now under their rule they're a good and gracious king or they're a tough king or they're they're under, you're under their control, whatever it is. They would send out these messengers to say, good news, you're no longer under this tyrant. You're now under this tyrant. <laughs> but it, they, would, they would proclaim it throughout the land, and like there's nothing that the servants or the peasants of the land had to do to now be servants of that king, good or bad, I guess, at that time. But they would just they'd become the king because he won the war for them. So it's a really cool example to think about um, the gospel of Jesus uh, and, or the gospel of we talk about all these people that have written about Jesus and their gospels. It's like the good news that they see in him is just, he's won the war for us. He's won the battle for us. He's claimed us as his own and he's a good king. And yeah. he's a, he's an amazing king. It's, yeah. And you touched on adoption and just paints a picture of family. And there's so, so much scripture that describes us being in God's family. Like, Jesus is our older brother. He's many things to us, but he's our older brother, like the perfect older brother. Um, and the Bible says that we're co-heirs with Christ. Like that, that is hard to fathom that, yeah. that per, the perfect God who died on the cross for me, the father says, okay, now you two, you are co-heirs and, and amongst all your other brothers and sisters in the family. It's like, it's a paradox. It doesn't make, yeah. it doesn't make any and sense. There's some people that have taken that thought and like, de-spiritualized it I guess or de I don't know what the right word there is but like they've made it not as important like so not as holy or not as holy so like yeah. we're co-heirs he's our older brother so we're equal from like, the get-go like we're cool like yeah, yeah. and it's the like there's, there's some religions there. right. like as it um as a Mormonism believe that that Jesus is like uh, just our brother not our God not our Lord but 
what Christianity actually, the Bible actually claims is he's our Lord, he's our Savior, right. he's our God, and he's allowed us to be on the same level yeah. with him, it's, which is like yeah. uh, this wondrous, awe-inspiring thing. Mm-hmm. Like, how, why would you do that? Right. Where you could take the same view or the same statement and like, be like, yeah, we're equals. Right. You know, and that's right. not what the Bible says, right? right? So that's, that's right. cool. Yeah, and to be clear, we are not equals with Jesus. Correct. Like, we we are seen as as righteous as him in, in, in yeah. the sight of God because what he has accomplished is given to us. Right. And that is what we get to now present to the Father, right? Is that his record is is now mine. But um, yeah, you're right. In Mormonism, so quick probably, you just turn one little thing right. and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, it's the same. Or it's right. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe you let me even be in the same room as you and you right. do like And that's where just kind of a side point. That's where I I t- kind of take issue when people think that being into the nuts and bolts of theology is like uh, when you begrudge somebody for that. It's like, hold on, but when you don't have people doing that, that hold that line, that's where sects and cults come from. Mm-hmm. Being fat, playing fast that's and loose. Sects. S E C T S. That's where they come from is playing fast and loose with scripture and not really getting to meanings of things. Yeah. And one of the other reasons why I'm, I'm really passionate about holding that line is because Jesus spoke so frequently against apostasy and against false teaching. What so is, if he's um, going what to is be, apostasy for us over here on the side of the table? Um, <laughs> gosh, it's... It's basically uh, denying the historic Christian faith and teaching something contrary to what Jesus and his followers taught. Um, and then there are false religions. And, and yeah. but, So he spoke very ardently against that and frequently to where, if okay, if my Savior thinks that's an important thing, I ought to as well. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm as passionate about that as I am church attendance because he died to establish a church. And so... Uh, I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, it's important good. to look hard at theology. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys clarifying that. Hopefully, you guys didn't. didn't no, I, I didn't think you were saying that. I was just, it's a really But yeah, it can easily be tweaked into your point. You know, a new religion's created out of it, and it's, right. you know, it's far off. So, but just the fact that, because he could have just died for us and said, all right, I'll see you in heaven, but it didn't, it didn't end there, right? Like, we, he, not only that, but the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, and which Jesus said was better than him, you know? And it's like, that thing lives inside of me? How, why? Like, why why me? And it's all because he's adopted, we're, we're in the family, and everything that's in the family we get. Like, you, you've, you've, you know, made that example with your, with your daughter, like, it's your house, but it's her house, right? And God kind of does the same thing with us, where... All right, you're in the family. That means this is all yours. Everything I have is yours type thing. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Isn't it wonderful, too, that our faith only gets better and better? Like, it's still a progressing revelation. Yeah. Like, it's still there's still more to come that we can't know. Right. And it gets better and better. So that's, that's it reminds me, um, the, each one of my kids, when they get to about two, three years old, they notice that I have a wedding ring on, right? And they just want to wear it. And so they're talking about family and progressing revelation of that family and our faith. Like, they're like, Oh, Chloe, our um, second youngest, says, I want to I want your ring. I want your ring. I say, okay, you can have the ring. And I'll take it off. I'm like, but do you know what it means? And so it's like every, it's literally it's happened to every one of our kids. I'm like, but do you know what it means? And they're like, no. <laughs> I said, I just want the ring, Dad. I was like, this, Shiny object yeah, this means I love your mommy and I'll always love your mommy. This means I love God and I'll always love God. This, mean God. this means God loves us and he'll always love us. This means I love you. And I'll always love you. And then I let her put it on her finger. So from my oldest son to my youngest son, like every one of them at some point have asked that question. It's like 
they know they're in her family. Right. They know their love. Is she three? She can be able to understand that, but yeah. probably not yet, you know? But as she gets older, she's going right. to remember that ring means you love mommy no matter what. That ring means God loves us no matter what. That ring means you love me no matter what. Like, that never-ending, and I get to have it too. Right. I can have it whenever I ask for it. Like, right. it was just... So that's a cool thing to see them grow in that. That's great. And anyway... You, I interrupted you. You're on to uh, Abraham and Isaac. I think we're talking a little bit about that. Or what are, what's next year? So, um, the, so that being, what do you guys want to talk? About? <laughs> so, so that being a microcosm, well, we're done now. Of foreshadowing <laughs> yeah. of the gospel, there we foreshadowing go. the sacrifice. Sure. Which something when we were talking, I was I thinking knew we had you here for a reason. This so is good. <laughs> the, what I what is really cool about this story is this is before all the prophecies, right? So we there's the, there's prophecies of the Messiah coming, but this oh, takes man, place prior good. to that. So. God, with the exception of in the garden, right? But like official, like, like books prophets, of the God prophets, sending oh, prophets yeah. down, sending, yeah. right? The, sure. the thing that the Jews were yeah. like, you know, basing right. all of their faith. Yeah, on. there were sacrifices before this. There were prof- prophecies right. before this, but, but there actual was God like, sending prophets yeah. down yeah. to inform His people. So I'm. Th- it's cool that He didn't just have the prophecies through the prophet's mouth, but He had Scripture showing, okay, this is gonna. I, I'm. Like the prophecy in action, like it's like happening. Right. It, yeah. They had both, like, it, and I just wonder. I'm like, did they, did they see that? We're on this side of the cross, so we get to see. All right, this is what God was doing. He was saying, all right, that the sacrifice is coming through my son. But I wonder if they just banked more on what the prophets said, or if they were like, no, this is like, this is actually going to take place. This is foreshadowing of yeah. Jesus to come. So if you don't know the story, we're talking about um, Abraham and Isaac. Um, it's his second-born son. But God's asked Abraham to take Isaac up this mountain and sacrifice him on the mountain. And Abraham loads up the wood, loads up his kid. He's like 20 years old at the time, I think. So like they're going up this mountain together. And Abraham's like, God will provide the lamb. Isaac's like, hey, Dad, we're going up here. Where's the sacrifice? God wants a sacrifice. And God has said it's supposed to be Isaac. Abraham's believing God's going to provide a lamb. He says it the whole time. They get to the top. He's about to sacrifice his son. And God says, no, don't. And they find a ram in the thicket. And he sacrifices the ram. And his son is saved, essentially. Right. So it sounds crazy and weird. Um, just out of context. But if you have not read it, go read it in Genesis. You can just Google it exactly where it is. You can find it. It's really easy to find. Bible Gateway is a great resource. But um, digging into that a little bit. Like, he's got to completely surrender to God to believe, like, this was the child that God promised him. This is, like, this crazy promise in his old age that he was never going to have kids. All of a sudden, he, he does it his own way, messes it up, and then God's like, here's the child of your promise, of my promise, and now give him up. Yeah. So, like, this is, like, complete surrender to God. Be like, okay, that sounds insane. We're bordering on, like, am I just hearing myself or am I hearing God here? Yeah. Like, maybe not bordering, but, like, that's a... It's like, wow, what's happening? Yeah, some thoughts come to my head. Like, so the original promise to Abraham is that he would bless him through his descendants. Right. And here he is asking him to give up the thing <laughs> that through whom his descendants <laughs> would come. Right. right. So there's a big test there. Yeah. And even um, he says himself, God will provide the lamb. And like, I kind of, I'm sure there's all kinds of views on this, but I, I got to kind of go to this place where I'm like, I know that there, there's got to be this tension within Abraham of, all right, he's asking me to go and sacrifice my own son, but somewhere in the recesses of my mind and who I know God to be, he's got to provide a lamb. You know, that's kind of how I initially read it. And and then he gets up, he's going to bring the knife down on his son, and 
God says, stop, don't, don't touch, you know, don't, don't lay a hand on him. Like don't hurt him. Um, and then what Abraham said God would do, he did. Yeah. He provided a ram, which is an adult lamb, right? Adult male lamb. But he also provided thousands of years later on that same hill. Right. And that was his own son that he sacrificed. So it's like Abraham believed that God would come through for him. Yeah. And he did immediately. And then he did cosmically later for him, yeah. for his sin, everyone. for everyone. For all of his descendants. All his descendants huh. and those who would be grafted into yeah. that line. Right. Us Gentiles. So like that's why that, that story is so important to us. Like, yeah, that's wild. It's just like to see that play like so on this side of the cross, like man, you can if you understand the gospel and the good news that, that Jesus has come, you say, Man, that is a beautiful story yeah. of God providing a sacrifice when we don't deserve it. If you don't understand the gospel and you don't see that the Bible is good news, you say, What a horrible thing to put somebody through, right? right. Like what a horrible act. And it's really like that's where it it flips for me is like, man, it just feels like a bunch of rules and weird sacrifices and old tradition until you see it through the lens of the gospel. Right. And um, Pastor Crystal said something on Sunday, and I may be getting the words wrong because she said it really well. Um, he didn't want Abraham's son. He wanted his heart. Yeah. Right? And so God didn't want Abraham's son. God wanted Abraham's heart. Um, not that he needed to cut his heart out, but that he wanted to see where his devotion lied. Like, right. where was, his, was he surrendered to the God of the universe? Or was he content on doing it his own way yeah. and through his own strength? And that is really powerful. Yeah, I think the story is, it tells us what our faith requires. Like Isaac was the most cherished thing. It was the thing that he had been waiting on for years and years and years. And probably the thing he had the tightest grip on in yeah. his life was Isaac. And God said, I want that thing. Because you may be elevating it above me, whatever it may be, right? Yeah. And that is our biggest struggle what and and we were talking about this last week like good things take the place being a good dad being a good husband being a good worker but if that's an idol it's sin Mm -hmm. even though it's a good thing now granted you can do that with bad things too yeah and we (laughs) right and we see that like jesus almost does the same thing i referenced this story last week with the rich young ruler when the rich young ruler asked jesus how do i inherit eternal life and you would have thought in that moment Jesus would lay out well you have to put your faith in me and do this and do this and he simply said give away all your possessions and follow me because that was his idol his money was his idol and he knew the he said or he knew all right if he's willing to do that then he'll he'll follow me no matter what because that was the that was the thing he had the tightest grip on just like Abraham had with Isaac so if God's willing to ask Abraham to do that, he's willing to ask us to give up anything. I like that you bring up the rich young ruler. And, and so what comes to my head is like, okay, Jesus knows what my idol is. Hmm. He knows it immediately before he even has to ask me a question. Right. So if I know that and I have this question put before me, then I need to go have my own audience with Jesus and not just think, what is my idol in my own thinking? Mm-hmm. I need to go invite Jesus into that. Can you tell me what my, I'm holding on to as an idol? Because mm-hmm. I can be deceived about right. what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's the one that kind of, like the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth and is the wonderful counselor. Let's access that counselor. So anybody that's listening, if you're having trouble answering this question, or even if you think you have a bead on what your answer to that question is, take it to Jesus first and allow him the space to speak to that. Right. Because he may tell you something that you didn't think was an idol. That's good. And another, just on the subject of, of idols, 
I can't get this quote out of my head by Leonard Ravenhill, who is a preacher who's now deceased, but he's gone on to be with the Lord. Um, but he said, anything you love more than Jesus is an idol. Doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. That means anything that you love more. And so it takes some time to like really sift through that. Like, all right, what are my affections on? What is my time and my attention on? Like, wh- or where does my heart want to be? Right. You know, those, those are important questions to sift through, to yeah. answer that question. So thoughts like that, like can lead, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it can lead you to think like, well, if I'm not doing ministry all the time, if I'm not leading a church, if I'm not leading a small group, if I'm not doing something for God's church in a ministry capacity, then maybe I love something more than Jesus, right? So maybe we could talk about what does this practically sure. look like in your everyday life. You're a pastor, right? Um, so it might look different in your life that's your calling profession in a lot of ways versus... Um, somebody else who's not called to be a pastor, right? Like, what does that look like, loving Jesus in your everyday life and actually actively surrendering completely to God? Um, I like this. I like this. Does that mean you need to be in ministry, per se, or is everybody in ministry in a different way? What's the what's the thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, we, we alluded to it. I think it comes down to our heart. You know, you, you said that earlier. Not necessarily what we're doing, um, but... Surrender. I love the word surrender because mm-hmm. it is, that's where our heart is kind of exposed. So like when we're saying, all right, God, this is yours. I'll give this up. I'll give this up. My money, my marriage, my kids, my work, whatever it is, it's not mine anymore. It's yours, God. Like I, I'm surrendering it to you. And I've always seen that for me where I feel like, okay, I, I feel like I'm quote getting it, you know, or I see that in someone else's life when they're taking, they're loosening their grip and saying, all right, God, this is yours. And they're giving it away because they realize it's not theirs to start with anyway. God gave me everything I have. So I'm giving it all back and whatever he asked me to do. So I I do think it is, it's a reflection of what our heart is when we're willing to surrender. So day in and day out life, is it your job? Is it your money? Is it your house? Are they your kids? Is it your wife? Like we have to ask, right. So it's like, we have to ask our or, and only we know the answer to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like deep down, is it, if God asked me to give this up, would I actually do it? Like, it's easy to say it, but then when he would, if he I was give it ask, all up. Right. But then when he does it, it's like, man, that's when we're actually tested in, in yeah. that, in that uh, manner. So, yeah. so I think, I think finding what your purpose in life plays into this like what what you're here on earth to do plays into how we answer this question properly because um there's a there's a movie there's a movie called uh, chariots of fire yeah and it's about it's a real story about a, an olympic runner named eric liddell who ran in the olympics was a phenomenal you know medalist in the, in the olympics but he was also called to be a missionary in china right so this like how you positioned the question yeah. earlier like his sister comes to him and says, why are you running in the Olympics? You know that we're called to China. So like the whole point is, you know that what we're supposed to do on the earth is to go witness to people in China and evangelize. Yeah. And he goes, yes, but God made me fast. And when <laughs> I run, I feel his pleasure. So it's like God gets glory from you doing the thing he's gifted you to do. Even if it's something that seems like it's not important, like running, right? 
where this has actually elevated a story to elevate God. Like yeah. he used that whole scenario as an evangelistic tool did he, and his missionary. Did he miss time. out on the final because it was on a Sunday or he missed out on a race? On one of the races. He yeah. wouldn't run because his conviction was I'm not going to do anything on the Sabbath. Yeah. And then his, his biggest competitor, and I remember hearing this that Liddell said, he made me fast and when I run, I feel his glory. And his biggest competitor was like, I've got whatever the race is so 20 seconds, seconds to justify, to my, justify existence. my existence yeah it's like mm-hmm. are we trying to prove that we're living for what we're supposed to be living for or are we just giving it up and saying I'll do whatever you want whatever brings right. you glory like that's a really amazing example right there to say he was competing at the highest level in the world but then also willing to give up a race because he, it was his conviction like it's a Sabbath to me that nothing comes before God and so as his personal conviction, I don't know that you can't run on a Sabbath. I don't know how that works for him or for anybody else, but that was what he felt like God was telling him to do. He was willing to give it up. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, I wouldn't want to begrudge anybody their conviction right. that they don't compete in that on a, on a Sunday. Because if, if to them that day is holy between them and the Lord, I don't want to infringe on it. Uh, and there are other scriptures there's that we been, Yeah, and there's been odd things I felt like God had asked me to do just to give up sure. something that wasn't necessarily like everyone else needs to also do this like a fast or um what or whatever whatever it is money whatever i feel like he's asking me to do that and it's not like uh well now dave has to do that and you have to do that it's just are you going to give up what i ask you to give up are you going to surrender to me in this area or that day or whatever that is um the other thing we, we need to address is that one of the voices on this podcast is no longer in the room. Yeah. If you aren't listening to us or watching the, the he's still the, here. We're just not letting him talk anymore. Yeah. <laughs> We've muzzled him. No, Casey had to had to leave a little a little bit ago, so that's why you're not hearing him. But uh, how can I surrender to God but not have to go into full time ministry? Right, like I've got to believe some people struggle with it. Like, yeah. well, how can I be completely surrendered if I'm not in full time ministry? Well, you can be full time sold out to the Lord and doing your work within your work, like what you do at your job. Like the marketplace you, per se, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The marketplace ministry. Like you you glorify God by doing good work. Like God is pleased with us being excellent at the jobs that we have. And you can find people to love and serve within those categories and that is your ministry. Yeah. So I, I think that it doesn't have to be separated like that. But there are people called to full time ministry. Sure. For sure. sure. I'm, I'm so, bivocational. And so my, my worship to God is I do, I do work at my church and I do work in the, in, yeah. in the world, you know? So that's I'm big. And I think you could make an argument that if you are doing your work in the marketplace, you might even have a bigger impact um, and a, a longer reaching impact than someone who's just um, called to full, full-time ministry. There's an argument that could be made for that because you're seeing more people day in and day out like when someone finds out you're a pastor or you're full-time ministry, it's like the perspe- the perception of you changes and you don't get to see the real them all the time, you know? So um, living that out in the marketplace, in your job, in your family, like all of a sudden you get to touch people and see people in a different way that if maybe you were full-time ministry, you wouldn't get to see them. And now they both have their advantages and they both have their disadvantages at times. Sure, absolutely. It's, it's neat. Um, I, would, I, I want to add on to that. I would say the thought of like how to like surrender to him in my everyday life and the ministry aspect of it. I'd say if you're and I'll just a blunt statement, if you're not doing something to support or be a part of 
a church body, then you're not living that out. Right? Because Jesus has made it really clear he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his church. And that's the church universal, um, which is made up of a community of believers. Right, So if you're not actively... If you're just on your own saying, it's just me and my Bible, it's just me and God, and I'm, you're not actively pursuing a way to be part of his body and be a part of other believers, whether that's a home church or whether that's a mega church or whether that's a set, whatever that looks like, who cares the process of how it's set up, but if you're not actively a part of that community and, and trying to give what you can into that community, whether that's your knowledge or your hard work and service or your money or something that you're pouring into that community with even if you feel like i've got nothing to give like you can show up and set up a chair or you can show up and encourage somebody and say thank you for doing this right that there's if you're not trying to give back into that community and support and encourage jesus's bride then i would say you don't really deep down you're not really surrendered to him you agree with that or no I think that's definitely possible and definitely the case with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I do think there may be, you know, brand new Christians that just don't know what some of the scriptures are calling them into and it will take time and with good reading. That's and, a good point. Okay. Um, they might just be ignorant of the fact that they are called to such commitment to a local body. Right. And uh, I've had the conversations over years with people like trying to find a scripture that says you must go to church. And I'm like, that's the wrong view. It's it's more of look at the implication of some of the commands that we're called to in the New Testament. And you, there's uh, actually Pastor Mark, the founder of our church, he actually once did a teaching where he compiled all the lists of commands that you can't fulfill unless you're part of a local body. And I'm like, okay, so you either have to um, not read the Bible ever so that you don't come across those, right. which would also be a problem regarding your faith, <laughs> or you you think that those aren't for today, and then you've got an absolute mountain to climb to try to prove that, which I, I don't believe that that's possible. Um, so... The like that perspective there. You, yeah. have, you, you must go to church and, and participate with the body. And that could look differently, different types of churches, Absolutely. different types of setups. That's not like, yeah. But the I like that perspective of like, you could, I mean, you technically, there, there's people in, in other countries, there's people all over the world who Jesus comes to them in a vision. I saw a documentary the other day, the guy had recited the book of John to someone and he'd never read the Bible or mm. and like he just said, a man comes to me in my dreams and tells it to me every night. And he's able to recite. I'm like, so that guy was not in a church. And I think we can use that as a, those kind of miracles and those kinds of stories as like reasons we don't need to be in church. But I think that's a great place to start. And like, man, God's given me a revelation of how much he loves me or how much I need him. Like, why would I not go and share that with other people? Why would I not go and lead other people into it or whatever that looks like? That's, that's huge. Um, so I like this. The gospel, good news. The... Um, Sacrifice was like the, the shadows of the gospel in the Old Testament. And seeing that foreshadowing of Jesus on the cross is like, it's it's sprinkled all throughout yeah. the Old Testament. It's, it's just peppered through the whole the whole scripture. Like it's really cool. Like almost every story in some way is about him. And when you start to like really look at the Bible that way, I remember reading, when I first became a Christian, I was like, I don't know the Bible. Like I've, I've read about it, but like I read the whole Bible in a year. And the first half of the first two-thirds of the year, I remember getting really depressed because I'm reading, like, everybody dies. 
and everybody sucks. These kings <laughs> are terrible. These Everybody's are terrible. awful. Like, what am I reading? It's like the worst thing. I went like chronological order, and like, so then I got to the I got to the gospels, and I was like, yes, it's like this like relief in me. And then the next year I went back because I want to do it again, and I went back and did it again. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you read the new the old wow differently. Yeah. Like, Jesus is here. There's redemption here. There's redemption here. Like, God still didn't give up on it. And it was like, instead of getting depressed through reading through it, I was like excited reading through it, like, because yeah. I'm knowing what's coming. So, like, I was a Christian. I'd given my life to Christ. I was surrendered to Him. And reading through it, I'm like depressed reading the scripture. Versus the second round through, I'm like excited. Like, they don't even know it's coming. This is so exciting. <laughs> He's going to come and save them. It's going to be like, it's just like. Yeah. It changes your perspective on things. Yeah, you go back and you read. It changed my whole perspective. <laughs> Flip it around. Um, you, you go back and you read the story of Noah, and you see echoes of, of God's saving grace even in that story. Yeah. You see it in Abraham's life, uh, all the way up to the Exodus, right? So you have an enslaved people. God frees them, sets them free, right? And so he saves them. Yeah. Then he gives them the... the he saves them. They worship, and then he gives them the law. Man. And it's the same thing with us. Like, we can't fulfill the commands. So he saves us, and we worship, and then there are the, the laws that follow after. So, like, Christian faith is the same as what we see echoed in the it's Exodus. Good. So, like, that's where I go. I, I don't ever want to stop reading the Old Testament yeah. and seeing what the, the continuation of the story unfold into the new. Yeah, I could understand if you're a brand new Christian, you want to get the Gospels into you, and you want to Certainly. see that first, right? Because I don't want to build my faith on Old Testament law or cleanliness laws or all that kind of stuff. I want to build my faith on Jesus. Yeah. And then I can go. Then I, I personally have a, had a bunch of questions. About, well, he talks about that. Why is that? And I go back and read yeah. about it. I'm like, oh, he's referring back because that's what they knew. You know, I didn't know that. So that's a really neat way to read the Bible, and it changes everything. Yeah, right? and treating it kind of like an education. You want to major in the Gospels, minor in everything else. Right. Like so, that. but once you major in the Gospels, you can go back and see how wonderful the rest of it is. It it all it's a self feeding. Once you understand the Gospel and what God ultimately did for you, which is important to know now because right. you don't you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Right. You 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 could die today. You could die tomorrow. You could not wake up tomorrow. And getting the Gospel down into yourself is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. All the rest is to me the gravy and just like I understand the New Testament better after having read the Gospels and going back into the Old Testament and see some of these things that were culturally understood yeah. that aren't a part of the culture I grew up in so all yeah. of that kind of feeds into it but That's awesome. in the end of the day I'm glad that God chose Abraham and that we got to see this this foretelling of the gospel in his testing of Abraham's faith with Isaac it's just fantastic to see yeah this this the story gets made fun of a lot by popular culture and I'm like you're making fun of one of the most incredible stories ever told yeah and it's a true story so it, it kind of breaks my heart when I see it made fun of not that I can't handle it being made fun of it breaks my heart that they don't see the beauty of it yeah the and I think we can wrap up with that and, and think about how like God is still asking us, like he asked Abraham, to give up our Isaac. You know, he's still saying he doesn't want he doesn't want your Isaac, he doesn't want your thing, he doesn't want your he doesn't want your money, he doesn't want your whatever it is that you're holding right, is so like he has it in his So life. I've got it now, you yeah. don't. He's saying, I want your heart. I want to know that you know that you're surrendered to me, that no matter what, no matter what happens on this planet, no matter what happens in your mind, no matter what happens in your family, that like you're mine. 
not this thing is yours, right? Like yeah. you can, if you can give up whatever the most important thing is to you, guess what's going to happen next? Something else is going to creep back up as the most important thing to you, and he's going to ask for it again. And so you're, our, our life is constantly just giving up the thing that tries to rise up to the throne in our life and saying, but this thing is so good. You give it up. But this is the thing that is so Give it up. Like constant sacrifice and surrender to him like trains our heart to love him more and more and more. And it seems so hard in that moment. Until we realize that he is the most important yes. thing, right? Because yes. like, God asked Abraham to give up his son who wasn't perfect, right? And give that up so that he could receive the perfect son, right? Yeah. It's like, give up your Isaac so that you can receive Jesus deeper in and you get to receive that son that he's giving us. Yeah. It's like, man. So just like we're looking at the Old Testament through the lens of the gospel, what if we looked at our own lives through the lens of the gospel that God's not just trying to get you to give up all the stuff you've got and try to give up all the good things you've worked for, but he's trying to give you something even better and there's no room for it until you give up this thing that you've made your king. He wants to give you a good king. He wants to give you a, a perfect sacrifice and we're trying to hear work for it, work for it, work for it. He's like, give it up so I can give you something even better. That's, man, that's good stuff. I like it. Let's end on that. Let's, let's end on that. Guys, thanks for today. I can't do better than that. So I can't do better than that. God is, God is good. <laughs> We'll see y'all soon. Have a good one. See ya. See ya.